Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour, Cofield and Company. Ari is back in our Finley Toyota studios. We're live today at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Battleborn Injury Alerts, 570-9000 is the number. JBT is here as the company. It is Cofield. We're going to try to hunt down a former NFL receiver, former Raider. James Jones will join us a little bit later on. We've got Raiders cut day. Some shocking news on that front. Plenty to get to, so let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Well, I don't know where to go with uh, the stories today of your <laughs> child. I think we're gonna we're gonna keep the one that you told me earlier. We'll we'll save that for down the road. But uh, why? I find this one. Well, I find this one intriguing. You sent over a story, and I hadn't seen this, that Serena and her daughter had matching outfits on for the U.S. Open. Yeah. Boy, that was a big to-do last night, wasn't it? Like, she was going to lose? She didn't. But matching outfits with the daughter, you've got two sons. Are you game? So, I don't know. This has never really been brought up before. Like, Isabel is big on, like, lots of stuff. um, But she she doesn't really throw out, like, the, hey... You guys should all have matching outfits type of deal. Now, what I'm big on kind of along this path is coordinated Halloween outfits. Like, I really, for years, we almost, it, Diego almost was never was, say, Steve, because of the 2014 Halloween costume blow-up of repute between Isabel and myself where I wanted to be bacon and eggs, <laughs> and she refused to be bacon and eggs. Uh, I, I'm really down with coordinated Halloween outfits. Okay. So, like, this year... Uh, we're, I think we're going to be one of two things, either Mario. So, like, he's going to be Mario. Dimitri's going to be Luigi. I'm going to be Bowser. She's going to be Princess Peach. I think it's freaking oh, awesome. Great. I think it's awesome. Uh, she doesn't like it oh, because Princess Peach isn't cool enough. So she wants to be, like, something oh, else. She, it just, it's just always got to be something. Always got to be something. But I've never thought to wear, like, an outfit with my child that matches. You know what I mean? They have matching outfits, him and his brother, but not me with the two children. Well, I mean, if they're already matching, why can't you be the third? I don't mind. Actually, he's got a really cool shirt um, that I like, like that I kind of want to get like a big version of. So like, I'd be totally down with it. But like, I'm like, I just feel like maybe I should now. I was watching this like this is a great moment. Now I don't really have it. I was gonna say I don't really have anything that my son would want to celebrate about me. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) so, there's there's never really a moment that like we'd be wearing matching outfits and everybody'd be like, "Yeah, father son, that's a great dynamic." I bet you two years from now, if you told him the story of the arduous journey of putting together your Legos and how you busted up your hands for him, oh yeah, you guys could wear like little Lego outfits. Look at your oh god, that's disgusting. Don't ever show that to me again. That is busted wide open. Your thumbs jacked up. What is going? What are they doing with Legos now? I never had a Lego injury as a kid. I also might have a cute dermatitis, so my skin's like super oh, okay. thin. <laughs> so it might just be—I'm well, just being dramatic. Might be time to pick different toys. Uh, those are rough ones. Yeah, and they're time-consuming. It's a pain in the butt. You got to wear work clothes, but then you won't have enough grip. No, yep. And then like the little pieces, there's no shot. What no a shot. Disaster. Being a dad, dude. Being a dad, dude. It's what it's like to be a 45-year-old man, dude. It's like Tom Brady. Don't say that. Now I'm starting to feel sad for you like I did for Brady. Only 31. Well, it's coming quick, though. (laughs) It is. It is. It is. is. I feel like the uh, the gap's not being close between us. I was going to go way down an incorrect path. Number four. 
So Von Tobel was uh, out of the UNLV game, got a chance to watch some of it, and you're like, I need to go back and watch more of it because you did your VEASAN show uh, in the middle of the game. You're doing a Saturday show, right? What time is your Saturday show on? Uh, 9 a.m. So you're not in the middle of it, but whatever. What were you doing on Saturday after you were doing something? It was something my kid's birthday. Oh, it was kid's birthday. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So anyway, so uh, your boy's birthday, and you didn't get to watch the whole game. So you went back and watched some film. We'll call it some film. Um, the defense played pretty well. They gave up a couple of big shots. But the run defense, I think it was 40 carries, 52 yards for Idaho State. And Idaho State's not a great team, but still, you know, anyone can be dangerous at times. And uh, they played good assignment football. And they do have, you know, I was telling everyone, at each level, they've got a budding star, mm-hmm. right? I believe it's Ajake, Austin Ajake at linebacker, who got hurt at the end of the year last year. He's very good. He's probably going to be their leading tackler. Noel Williams went healthy. Can be awesome at cornerback. I think Jare Williams as a nickelback is going to be excellent. And my guy on the defensive line is Eliel Ahimere. No, by the way, yeah, he's not your guy anymore. Okay, wow, he's, you're taking it away from me? He's my guy. So what would you say? He was awesome. And, they, and, and here's the thing, too, that I should very much point out. Your eye is drawn to him because he is a massive human being along the defensive line on the interior, and he wears number 16. So, like, the first play that he makes where he's, like, two yards behind scrimmage, I rewound it. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, who is that? Is that, like, a DB that's blitzing yeah, in yeah. here? And you're like, that's way too big to be a defensive back. Yeah. And then, you know, you're like, oh, it's it's Elio. He was great. I thought he was absolutely tremendous. And, like, you really have to rewatch and, like, watch him to really appreciate Because he's an interior defensive lineman, right? So, these aren't really yeah. the things you see when you initially watch the game. But when you have five consecutive plays where he's two yards behind the line of scrimmage, disrupting run games. I was telling you, and I wish I had my notebook because I like actually wrote a lot of stuff down. Yeah. There was a play where he takes one of the guards for Idaho State and throws him, throws him into the path of the running back. The running back gets tripped up because he's got nowhere to go, and then you and know, the rest of the defenders just clean it up. I thought he was tremendous. You and I were talking about it. He was at the very center. You know, Astagike with the interception at the very beginning of the game, you're going to remember that. He was the reason why that pass was picked off on a blown-up screen. I came away with this. The stats were for Ajike. I thought I thought Eliel uh, – I'm practicing uh, his name. Yeah. yeah, I'm practicing his name. Himare. It's not easy. It's not um, easy. I thought he was the best defender for them uh, on Saturday. All right, give us the interception that John's talking about. Second down screen. There you go. Austin Ajake, interception. And again, you got to, you know, when you watch games, you got to go back and look and Mm -hmm. see who made the play possible. And uh, LEL, the defensive lineman for UNLV, got basically free rush on a screen pass and was going to destroy the quarterback. And he had a rush to throw it, and Ajake read it really well. Um, Here's a hammeray in the Monday press conference. He's such a quiet guy. He's such a nice dude. Here he is talking about the play, and you can see he's happy, but he doesn't want to take too much credit. And then he also gets into how crappy he was in the spring. And I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? He's talking about losing his job. I'm like, well, what is happening? I think I was going through a lot mentally in the spring. Honestly, I felt like spring I played some of my worst football. Battling through it and then putting in work over the summer, sure, I earned my role back as a starter. As far as AJ's pick, sure, I talked to him on the sideline. Asked him if he liked the pressure, he said, yeah. But the main thing was running through my mind. I really wanted to tackle him. But, you know, if that was a completion, that would have been uh, rough in the passer. So. Yeah, he wanted to tackle the quarterback, not Ajake. Uh, but he had in his mind he didn't want to ruin the play because he didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. at first. Um, 
So also on that play, Ajake was actually a pretty good running back in high school. He was like an 1150 yard running back in high school. So he showed some pretty good skills yeah. there. He got knocked down by the quarterback. I'm telling you folks, we've played a couple of interviews with LAL in the past. John, when you get a chance to talk to him, talk to him. If fans get a chance to talk to this young man, talk to him. He's already got two degrees and I think he's getting his third in uh, his master's in, in cybersecurity and science. He's super smart kid. He comes from a great background. And he's a hell of a storyteller. He also got into this whole thing. I got to, I actually, I, I got to pull the audio because I was sitting there and I'm listening to him. As he just said, his spring was crap and he lost his job. I'm like, I don't, I don't know when this happened. Um, but he also mentioned he, he took the, the journey. That's the toughest one. And that's Juco mm -hmm. because Juco is very unforgiving. It's not, it's not big time. Like you're not getting all this fancy stuff. You know, UNLV has nice facilities now, you know, they've got the, the whole program, you know, for the food and everything else, a great weight room and all that. He threw something out about, oh, you know what it was? He was talking about going to, I think he went to Cabrillo, and he was talking about going back to Northern California and said, yeah, he has some friends there. Some friends took him in, and when he was in Juco, he was living in, like, a house with four bedrooms, and he said there was, like, 18 of us. And oh. someone, someone in the media laughed, and he's like, it really wasn't funny. <laughs> but he wasn't being mean. Good. He was just, like, just, like, memories came back. He's like, right. it's like, it was really tough. Really tough. Did I tell you also why I'm, I'm now a big fan of his? He wears glasses in his roster photo. He does. <laughs> that is, I don't know why, but I'm totally down with it. I saw. Uh, I walked out on the field, and he he looked at me, and I was, and he gave me like a fist bump, and I was like, "The Rex Specs, huh?" And then I was like, "Wait, this kid's not old enough to really remember." Oh, he wears Rex Specs. Well, I think Tremendous. are they are they still called Rex Specs? I mean, I, I know them as Rex Specs. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a friend back in I wore '86 who, you know, was this gangly kid. He, like you couldn't be more nerdy, and then on top of it, he wore the Rex Specs to play tennis and basketball. So I have fond memories of the rec spec. So good start for LEL Himaray, one of the uh, potential stars on this UNLV defense. Top three stories. Number three. Good day, bad day for former UNLV players trying to stay in the NFL, get in the NFL. Johnny Stanton did not make the Browns. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Johnny. He sent out a nice message. We'll retweet that. Um, Johnny, of course, was a quarterback who made a position switch to kind of tight end, hybrid fullback, H-back, and he's had a pretty good career on and off the roster and uh, also on the practice squad with a couple of teams. Now, the next guy who's trying that, John, is Armani Rogers. And Johnny Stanton is a hell of an athlete. So Johnny Stanton now is probably 6'4", 245, and you know, I'm guessing he was probably 230 when he was at Nebraska and then Juco and then UNLV. You know, big guy, downhill athlete. It allowed him to make the NFL. Armani's got a lot of the, the same skill set. Uh, Armani was never a great thrower in college, but an unbelievable runner. You could see what kind of athlete he was. And he was generally the tallest guy, like one of the more imposing guys on the field. And now he's trying to become a tight end. And we've talked to so many people, you know, football experts, and are like, that is not easy. Quarterback to tight end. Logan Thomas is on the roster with the commanders. He did it. He was a former VTech quarterback. Armani Rogers made the commanders. But, and that's cool. Uh, and I think he's he's got a chance. And we've seen, you know, there's some, some pretty good tight ends all time that either were both, you know, basketball and football players or, you know, basketball players who were late comers to football, returnees to football. In this case, you got a quarterback going to tight end. If he sticks with it, I mean, athletically, he would be a sick number one tight end. Yeah. And look, like he didn't play a whole bunch in the preseason, 72 total snaps. So it's a really small sample size to like garner like whatever we saw from him. But clearly he showed enough in camp to actually stick on with the team. And to me, you hit the biggest point because when you sent this over, that was my first thought too. He's playing with a guy who's made the transition already. 
So that's going to help immensely with, I think, what he's trying to do here. So, I like, again, I think we always we always get co- so caught up in, like, results and all these things. We miss out on some of the cool stories. And at the very least, you know, this is a guy who took a little bit of a different path, isn't playing the position, and probably, if you asked him truthfully, that he, that he wanted to play at this level, but is still at this level and is good enough to make an NFL team. And I think that's really awesome, and I can't wait to see what it's going to be. Number two. Bunch of cuts today for the Raiders wave. Uh, well, they wave some guys, they release some guys. And they moved on from some of the Gruden Mayock dudes. We'll get to Leatherwood in a second, but Trayvon Mullen was the surprise of the day. Were you surprised by that one? That Mullen, a potential starter at cornerback, was traded for a conditional seventh that could be a sixth. The Cardinals picked him up, but they're done with Trayvon Mullen. No, I'm not. I wasn't entirely surprised, mainly because you got something out of it. Um, but if, and if you look at it too, right? The injuries. This staff didn't really know that much about him. If you can flip him for a pick if he was on the fringe of the roster initially, then I think that's something that, hey, you know what? That's a move that makes sense, especially if you're getting some sort of compensation back. And it also makes sense the team that you ship him to. If you look at the the Cardinals roster from a corner standpoint, uh, he already comes in tied for the second highest best uh, corner in terms of coverage grade that the the uh, – the Cardinals have, according to PFF. Ooh. So he's yeah, he's, he's going to be like a lot of people are excited. Like I saw a bunch of Cardinals fans like, yeah, is this a steal? This sounds great. Like, yeah, because your cornerback room is such a mess at this point right now. You definitely need him. And I would think, too, there's probably plenty of teams out there who would have shipped off that pick for him. Right. Even if it's the Cardinals, the Patriots were a team that really need a corner. You can go around the league. There's a lot of teams that need quarter depth, but it made sense. No fear on the Raiders part either. Getting rid of a guy who was a second round pick. In a room that, you know, maybe, well, a lot of us think, hey, you know, you got to put something good together here. Rock us in, in, uh, Averitt in. So we'll see what that room looks like. But he's also going to come back here for the home opener because the Cardinals and the Raiders meet up on September 18th. Number one. And then the big move of the day, number 17 pick in last year's draft. First round pick, another first round pick that didn't appear to be panning out from the Gruden Mayock era is gone. Alex Leatherwood sent away which is a bummer for the kid because he was probably overdrafted tons of pressure on him you know it turns out with uh, Gruden and Mack the Alabama Clemson approach worked here and there like with Hunter Renfro but man with lots of other guys it hasn't the jury's still out on uh, Josh Jacobs but in general the first round picks man that was a lot of first round capital and you you wonder moving forward if it's going to affect him or if the new regime is going to be able to save things and make up for what you know turns out to be six guys taken in three drafts. Some productivity, but many of them gone already. The 2020 class is completely gone already. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, if you're going to hit on draft picks and you're going to win games, people are going to forget about it pretty quickly. And they're going to understand why you made the move. So I would say, like, yeah, and this is the very beginning of it, obviously. So we'll see. I- I'm very interested to see how a lot of their moves work out at this point right now. I'm just honestly surprised. Like, we... There was something we obviously did not see outside of what we did, which we did. It wasn't very good in that you're not going to give a second year guy with the potential to get better, not even a shot at getting better. To me, that was the most surprising thing about it. Like, it must have been really bad behind the scene. Man. It's over. What's over? It's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Like, Alex Leatherwood's career? No. Oh, no. But the nail, the nails are going in the coffin of Cruden and and Mayock. No, I think Leatherwood still has a chance to be a player. It's just it's early in his career. And, uh, again, he shouldn't have been shoved into a guard tackle 
position right out of the gates. He probably should have been a second or third round pick. And, you know, the Raiders overdrafted him. Sucks. And again, it's, it is the weirdest thing with them, man. But like, yeah. it, this is, this is why I also think too, when you talk about the perception of value in the draft, it's always my favorite conversations around there. You can clearly tell, right? If you talk to enough people, because everybody will argue like, well, what do you know? Nobody knows anything in the draft. That's very true. But if you have enough of a sample size of opinions, you can tell where guys stack up in an NFL draft. And so when a vast majority on a guy like Alex Leatherwood are yeah, second round pick, maybe, mm-hmm. but then the Raiders go, nah, right. top 20 pick in the yeah. first round. When you're, when you're consistently something- in the first round, when you're consistently 14, 20, 25 picks ahead of where he slotted. Yep. Not a good time. I cut you off. No, I, I just, I think that's it. And I think that's, that's the thing when you look back on, this regime outside of everything else because they did do some good things that's going to be the most perplexing thing and and then at some point because i remember too it was i think it was right after leatherwood got drafted where you can kind of spin this as before we knew what alex leatherwood was going to be you know what a team sees something in a guy they like him they're going to go get him but you got to hit on those picks that's the thing you can't consistently overreach and then not hit on those selections and that's exactly what kept happening for mayock and gruden i think gruden likes to talk to other coaches and relies on their opinion. You mean Alabama coaches? A little too much. Let's build on that on the way back. Because John Gruden actually spoke today in public. He was asked a couple of questions about you know, his NFL future and what he thought about uh, what is happening right now with his lawsuit. He was in Arkansas this morning, Arkansas Touchdown Club. And we'll have John Gruden on the way back. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Third and goal at the three. Garbers tosses left. Brown holding it in his left arm. Runs in untouched. Six easy. TD Raiders. They do cap it off in the end zone. Britton Brown maybe a cap to a great preseason on his rookie year. And the Raiders extend the lead 22-6. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company. Rolling on Cofield and Company here. Jason Horowitz on the way back. TDLV. Battleborn Injury Lawyers. BBBBC. Battleborn Broadcast Center. A lot of Bs. I think you did too many. I, too I, many. I always do too many. I get too excited. 5709000 is the number. If you missed Justin Watkins talking about San Diego State and the Bills and Matt Ariza earlier in the show, really good stuff. Don't jump the gun on this story. I was jumping the gun a bit, and I got back down. So that's why we have him on. That's why we have him on. So, John Gruden spoke this morning. You could tell this was kind of a a big meet and greet. He's up on stage. He's at the Arkansas Touchdown Club. They're getting people fired up for the opening of the college football season. Arkansas taking on Cincinnati. So, here's a guy asking a really long question. Just get to it, brother, as he's trying to find out what's going on with Gruden, what he thinks about the, uh, the, the banishment and the lawsuit and all that stuff. You're in a lawsuit right now, so you can't really comment on that particularly. But, you know, the kind of person you are, I, I thought maybe it was important that maybe you sort of share and just my little bit of exposure around you and the things I've read that your players have through. I know you're obviously you're in a lawsuit right now, so you can't really comment on that particularly. But, you know, the kind of person you are, I, I thought maybe it was important that maybe you sort of share and just my little bit of exposure around you and the things I've read that your players have said. Uh, and your and your assistants have said, and the coaches you've been under, um, I think maybe there's been a different kind of person portrayed. I just want to give you the the chance to talk about that. 
Well, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, say anything but honest things here. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, and I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just, it's, it's shameful. Shameful. Okay. So he he says he's sorry. It's shameful. The beginning of the question was so good, we doubled it up. Um, I was going to say, there's no way it's It's shameful, right? But do you feel like we're going to have a dramatic pause here and then? But um, I am a good person. I believe that. I, I, I go to church. I've been married for 31 years. I got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes, but I don't think anybody in here hasn't. Uh, and I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully I get another shot. Right. Gets, gets, a nice Sorry. Ova- Sorry. gets a nice ovation there. Get caught up. And then he starts – John. this is John Gruden at the Arkansas Touchdown Club this morning. And then he starts to go after ESPN, who I guess he feels like he now has an axe to grind. But I, I, get, I get choked up, you know, because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there right now. What you read, what you hear, what you watch on TV. Hell, I worked at ESPN for nine years. I worked hard at that job. I don't even want to watch the channel anymore uh, because I don't believe everything is true. Uh, and I know a lot of it is, is just trying to get people to watch. But I think we got to get back to reality, and that's why I look forward to Saturdays because you're going to get what you deserve when the whistle blows. There you go. Football's coming up. He actually did not look great. He put on a little weight, didn't look super healthy. And pot calling a kettle black, I look like hell. But I'm sure this is worn on him. I'm not, I'm not mocking on him. I'm sure this is worn on him a lot. You know, he's been crushed publicly. It looks like he may be out of football for good. I will go back to the second comment. On the I am a good person, and you go to church, I mean, there's some things to be discussed here. You know, the emails, if you want to say, hey, it was locker room material, guys talking like guys. That's one thing. I, I'm i surrounded by a lot of people who don't speak like that. So, and I, I'm around people who will cuss, but some of the stuff on not wanting women in football, using, you know, the word queer, um, talking about rubber lips. Is that what he used? No, it's, uh, I, I don't even know what the Michelin term was. Ti- oh, Michelin it. tires or yeah. something. Michelin lips the size lips. of Michelin tires. Yeah, it was like, I don't even, like, Smith. I'd never even heard that before. And believe me, I've heard everything. Remember, he like, also called him Dumb Morris Smith. Oh, and he called D-U-M-B. him Dumb. Yeah, I mean, it's like. It's, it's sophomore. It doesn't mean you're a horrific person and everything about you is terrible. But when you're using language like that and you're comfortable enough to do it on email, uh, on on the record, basically, like what, I don't know. You can get if maybe John Gruden get, can get caught up in a moment where he's saying something stupid, but it seemed like it was pretty consistent. Here's the thing: your language in the emails aside, this is our first known public commentary from you on this. And to say, ah, I did some terrible things, but but right, and like a really strong but. And then invoke. I'm, I'm a good person, and let me follow up with ESPN is crap. Right. You right. had all this time, and that's was, was he caught off guard? He knew he was gonna. He had to know he was gonna be on stage, and let me, you know, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out. Hey, you know what? I got called up on stage. I didn't know. You know, then don't go up. Because don't get on mic. Because the thing that bothers me is, you know, you can you can invoke your love of football and talk about your marriage and all of those things, but show some real contrition 
in what happened and what you did in the language you used, but that's not how you come across. And that's always the problem with guys like him when they publicly speak for the first time after they have made these mistakes or these mistakes have come to light. Your true self comes out. Right. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Just outside the one-yard line, Robbins gets the handoff. He waltzes into the end zone, and the Rebels score a touchdown on their first possession of 2022. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV highlight on the way back. Let's talk some Mountain West Conference football. Let's talk a little Raiders. James Jones, former receiver in the National Football League, of course, went to San Jose State. He's actually on the San Jose State opener this uh, weekend, and he gives us a couple minutes with Steve and John here in Vegas. How are you, sir? What's going on, fellas? A lot's going on. A lot's going on. First of all, tell us about uh, your gig here with San Jose State as you're calling the game. You're the analyst uh, locally on NBC Bay Area. And uh, I know San Jose State has high aspirations this season, a bounce back from last year. Yeah, man, I'm excited about it, man. You know, obviously being a former Spartan, man, to finally come back and be able to, you know, call a Spartan game, man. And, And I'm excited about some of the young players they got out there, some of the transfers they got. So, I think it'll be a really good week for them, um, and I'm excited to go out there and call the game on Thursday. You uh, you want to puff out your chest a little bit about the San Jose State program in terms of its history? Because for the first time, I got to go up there a couple years ago traveling with UNLV and doing the sideline reporting for UNLV, and I looked up on the Ring of Honor, and I was like, my God, there are some names up here. Absolutely, man. I mean, it was – I mean, you got, you, got, you got guys. I mean, obviously, you know – the greatest, the greatest coach of all time. I know Bill Belichick is in there, but I mean, you got my man Walsh up there, who's, you know, a San Jose State alum. Dick Vermeil, you know, uh, myself was just added up there to the Ring of Honor, which was absolutely crazy. Being a San Jose State, uh, San Jose, born and raised, and playing at San Jose State to see my name go up there, man, it was it was a humbling you know, experience, man. But, yes, man, we got some legends to come out of San Jose State, man, and hopefully we, we start getting a couple more coming out of there. So the defense is awesome with Fajoko and Kate Hall. Those guys are really violent, really mean. Kyle Harmon's a good linebacker. They got talent on the back end. On offense, can Cordero get the offense to a level where it can match what the defense has? And you mentioned a couple of transfers from Nevada. Yeah, man, I, I got a chance to go out to practice and, you know, check him out at the spring game and, I mean, he has everything you want a quarterback to have. I mean, the ball coming out of his hands extremely fast. I mean, extremely accurate. You know, I don't think people realize how athletic he is, you know, getting outside the pocket, making some plays with his legs. I think he's going to bring a different dimension to this San Jose State offense. And then, yeah, you mentioned the two guys they got from, you know, Nevada, you know, getting them on the outside. You know, we haven't had two really big-time receivers in a long time, and when we do have two big-time receivers that can really play on the outside edge, man, the offense is always at a at another level. So I'm excited to see how they look on Thursday night. I think this is going to be a really good season for the Spartans. And, of course, later in the season, uh, UNLV will be up there on a Friday night, October 7th. That'll be on CBS Sports Network, uh, San Jose State, hosting the Rebels. James Jones is with us. Can, let me ask you a couple of Raiders questions because I know you're, uh, you're up against it here with a, a practice today. Uh, first of all, are you surprised that uh, this new regime looked at Alex Leatherwood? They gave him, you know, the offseason. They gave him five weeks of training camp, and today they just decided, you know, it's time to move on. Yeah, man, I, I, 
I actually signed a deal to do some TV with the Raiders, and I, I, I was out there for a bunch of training camp practices, and they gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to kind of show itself a show that, you know, this is the reason why I was that number one draft pick, and it was just a lot of inconsistency, you know what I mean? He just never truly showed that, that I'm that guy, you know what I mean? And as they're getting down the cuts, and we know they had a bunch of good players on this roster, when you're getting down the cuts, you're trying to put together the best 53 to possibly help you go chase the Super Bowl. And, you know, they they said that they had some guys that, was, that, that gave them a better chance to win than him. So hopefully he lands on his feet and gets somewhere. I still think he has potential to be a really good player, and we'll see. So, James, tell us or take us inside the locker room in the NFL. When you go into a season, and I don't know if this ever happened to you. I'm sure it did. You go into the go into the season, and you're like, well, we got some problems on the offensive line. When you're an offensive player, you know, like the Raiders are loaded on offense. What's going through your head, you know, when you're looking at the O-line, and you're like, maybe we don't have it at the start of the season like we need to? Well, I think the main thing, and the main thing I was seeing at training camp is number one, the ball is coming out of Derek Carr's hands extremely fast to help the O line. Number two, when you don't have an O line that's extremely big time like that, the, the way you help them out is running the football, coming downhill at people, running the football, keeping the defense honest. There's a lot of movement on this offense, you know, so it's a lot of communication that this defense has, these defenses are going to have to do when they play the Raiders. You know, communicate a lot, whether it's at linebackers, the back end, whatever it may be. They're going to have to communicate a lot. Josh Josh is moving everybody around, every play, ran for a wall, or Devontae Adams, you know, he's, he's moving them. So that's how you help out your offensive line. Force these force these people to, on the defense to communicate. And, you know, hopefully you get some guys running free. But not only that, get the ball out of Derek Carr's hands fast and let's run the football. But I think as time goes on, I think this whole line will be just fine. And you think it's going to work with the running back by committee with uh, Jacobs, uh, you know, getting, I would, I would think over 50% of the carries, but kind of that Patriots way, that running back by committee. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it's worked for the Patriots. I mean, I know you got, you know, Tom Brady at the helm, you know, making everything right, but you know, it's, it's been running back by committee for them and they, they seem to always have a high powered offense, but not only that, you're not talking about some bums at the running back position. You got some guys that can really tote the rock. I could really make some explosive plays. A lot of these guys is home run hitters, you know, when they could get that ball in their hands. So, you know, I'm looking forward to watching Josh. I know all his teammates is excited about him. You know, the coaches is excited about it. I think Josh will have a good year, you know. But, yes, I, you know, it's all about making sure you can keep these guys fresh. So whenever you got a running back room that's, you know, trying to start to fight for some of them carries, that's always good. Portland State, San Jose State, James Jones, former NFL receiver, former Raider, is going to be on the game. It's on uh, NBC Bay Area, also on the uh, Mountain West website, coming up in just a couple of days. James, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. That is one of those swing teams, San Jose State. There's a bunch of teams right in the middle where we don't, we don't have answers on yet because San Jose State, to me, was a little uh, underwhelming last year mm-hmm. based on expectations. I think they coached themselves out of a couple of games. I, I pointed multiple times to the way – Brent Brennan handled the San Diego State game, especially at the end. But you're looking at teams. We just talked about Colorado State about an hour ago, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know what Jay Norvell is going to have. We know he's got a whole new crew of players. They could be good. Maybe they're only a four-win team. Hawaii, we saw an opening night on Saturday. Not good. Nevada has a chance to be decent, but I don't think they're going to be awesome. UNLV comes out against probably the you know the least of the opponents um, and takes care of business. Big time. There's kind of a 
there's a middle area and bottom area in this conference because we know the outstanding teams. Like, who, who do you think are the guaranteed teams to go and win at least eight games, right? Yeah. Boise, Fresno. I wouldn't even put Boise there. Uh, really? Fresno, Air Force. I, you're talking about guaranteed eight? Yeah. I put Boise. Eight, or put eight overall. Not, I mean, eight overall. That's what I'm saying. Like, eight really? or more, right? Yeah. I'd go with Fresno, and I'd go with Air Force. I think those are the teams I would guarantee to win eight, like, at least eight games. Well, that's promising for UNLV fans. Mm-hmm. And also kind of pushes back in the face of UNLV detractors that the conference is not loaded with, you know, completely unwinnable games. Uh, that, and I mean, look, we've seen Boise State fans around this time get pretty chesty about the status of their program and whatnot, and right when it comes to conference realignment and the attractiveness of certain programs. I'd be careful because you never know when that decline starts and when you're never going to get right back to the top. And we saw them go 7-5 and five with subpar quarterback play. That quarterback is still there, and that offense still has a lot of questions. Could be a very eerily, eerily similar year. Uh, for Boise State this year, but I'll say this: I agree. I, I'm. I know you're not as high on Shavon Cordero, but I think the one guaranteed thing about San Jose State: they're going to be freaking awesome on defense, and that's going to keep them in every single one of these games. No, they're going to be great. No, I, I like Cordero. Um, I'll. I mean, looking back at Hawaii, I don't know that he was poorly coached. And the other thing is, I don't know that he even wanted to be there, and I don't know what how how bad it was for Hawaii down the stretch. There clearly would big problems with the roster with Todd Graham. So you want to, you know, in a in a lighter atmosphere, Brent Brennan is not a, a hard ass, so it's going to be a, a fun team, fun group to play with. Maybe he's going to get better coaching. He just he's inconsistent and he's a little bit up and down. And as seasons goes, seasons have gone along, he's faded a little bit. But here's the thing: I like their backup. Mm-hmm. I, I think Nick Nash is freaking awesome, and Nick Nash is basically the same guy uh, with both of these guys. If you don't cover the middle of the field, like if you don't have a good spy and they run stuff where they get players, defensive players, out of the middle of the field. They're going to destroy you with their feet. Both quarterbacks can do that. And here's the thing with because I agree on Brennan, and I'm going to double check my work here because I wrote about this uh, over at Vison for our, our uh, college football betting guide. If you look at his time, because I think this is his sixth year there, if I remember correctly, in the five previous years, he's had four losing seasons and then a championship season, and that was the COVID shortened year, right? So like it's been this really weird run for Brennan where I think if you think about it anecdotally, you're like, oh, he's been pretty successful. He's actually had a losing record every single year but one, and that was a COVID shortened year where a lot of weird things happened. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We close out at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Nice enough to uh, let us use their uh, awesome studio. 5709000 if you need legal advice. Give them a call. Matt Hoffman, Justin Watkins. In the bag? Stick your hand in there, Dave. Boy, anytime there's material on Draymond Green, you interject it into the show. This is not a topic I love speaking about. What do we have now on Draymond Green in the offseason? What's the problem? I just thought you would like this. So okay. Justin Termini, who does a lot of like NBA radio work and whatnot. He does, um, he does NBA radio for SiriusXM, Justin Termini. Yes. Do, do you know him? That's the other thing. Don't you know him? Is that, uh, am, I, am I putting that relationship correctly? I know of him. Okay. All right. So I think that you and Termini, <laughs> you're just you're going to like what Termini has to say. Okay, he okay. went on some weird right, rant right. on Bill Simmons' podcast about Draymond Green. And it was a clip where it was just posted of him like kind of raving and ranting about Draymond Green. Uh, not raving because I think it's positive. Um, and I was like, this is oddly placed. It's August. Like, what are we talking about Draymond Green for? But Termini went in, and I think you're going to agree. 
part of it's like the hypocrisy. First of all, him, his teammates, his coach, his, I guess, now wife are telling everybody in Boston that they're not allowed to swear, right? Meanwhile, he's in Memphis flipping everybody off just a couple of weeks prior, okay? <laughs> in Golden State, watching that parade, he's swearing like crazy there. Okay. Initial thoughts? Off to a good start? It's all right. It's all right. Keep going. Then he's going, I think it's stupid to compare errors with a tweet. Two minutes later, he then goes, oh, but we beat the Jazz of 1998 by 40 points and the Bulls by 20 points. Then a week later, he's got Kyle Kuzma on his podcast, and they're breaking down like point guards of today and how the point guards of the past couldn't keep up with them. So Draymond says it's stupid and dumb to compare errors. And to me, I think he's compared errors more than anybody in, in sports media so far. Take that, Draymond. You hypocrite. I don't love the source on this, but he, may, he makes some pretty good points. If somebody else were to say it, I think you'd be like, yeah. Well, I mean, I said the same thing, that he's you'd he, be gets, the, he gets very hypocritical. You'd be the Drake meme. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Draymond is a horse's ass. We can all admit that. You know you know it. Of course. I've never, de I've never denied right. it. Right. Is he a good basketball player? Was he? Yes. Was he? <laughs> what's, his, what's his value going to be moving forward? We'll see. Max player. We, we've had the discussion a billion times. At some point, your antics right. and being a pain in the ass, it starts to wear thin when you're just not as good. And there were times last year he was a liability on the floor. You're just holding up the rings? Yeah, holding up fours. <laughs> Put up the fours! I'm also just hoping that uh, I get invited to a Draymond Green celebration of any sort. That's why I'm really super pro Draymond, so I can go to the blunt rolling station and grab, grab one of those fatties. That was awesome. Wait, what? When did this happen? Did you see his wedding? No. So his wedding, like they had like a blunt rolling station. Oh wow! They were they were they were fat. Yeah, I'm just gonna say extremely. And also, I'm gonna put myself in danger because I know and a lot uh, of people listen to this. Um, let's just say I saw a lot of like you could never smoke that whole. Try me. Just put it that way. Oh, back in my youth, back in my heyday, try me. Wow. All right, let's get out of this. Stick your hand in there, Dave. John getting punchy at the end of the show. <laughs> Often I say that. I'm getting punchy. I'm getting punchy. Last thing from you. I mean, you can talk I about it. Fired. All, you can talk about it all you want <laughs> um, in future shows. But I know you had a couple more thoughts on uh, UNLV's victory over Idaho State. You got a chance to go back. Your son's birthday was on Saturday, so you missed some of the games. So you went back. We talked about the defense, the offense. You and I watched Brumfield at practice. And you know, I, we, all, we all thought he was ahead of uh, Harrison Bailey. And I don't know what's going to happen now. I, I, I get the feeling that Friel could you know, have pulled even with Bailey. So we'll see. But here, here's the thing. Brumfield established himself as the guy. For I, now, he's going to have to be terrible to lose a job or get hurt anytime soon. I hope neither one of those happens. But he even exceeded my expectations. He looked like a different guy out there. That's, so for me, that's, that's, that was the thing that stuck out. We got to watch him at practice. We've seen him multiple times. I never saw any of those throws. Those were – and it's funny because on the broadcast, they even say, like, you think those are some of the throws that he won the battle with? I was like I, – I was watching the broadcast. I said out loud, I didn't see him. Not to say that he was terrible during camp. Right. Some of the throws that he was making, there was the – it was on their second drive after they get the interception, and it's a second and 21 after a penalty. And I, I can't remember. Was it was a Ricky Johnson he hits for Ricky, like Ricky White. Well, he hit him on Ricky the it was a it was a high ball, but Ricky White went up and grabbed it. Yep. But it was a laser. It was a laser, and it was off of a clean pocket. You mentioned the throw that he uh, hit Weimer with in between two guys, and one yeah. of the DBs was kind of going in the opposite direction. But it was an insanely tight window that he just laced in there. 
like on a rope. It was absolutely like, and here's the thing though. It was when he was kept clean and that offensive line performed really well. And obviously this is one game against Idaho state, but the, the plays in which he was able to sit back, examine and just throw. I was wildly impressed with Brumfield. It was, I, I, that was a brilliant performance. Yeah, Cal's going to be a really good test because Justin Wilcox is a great defensive coach and Cal's a pretty good football team. They had a up and down season a year ago where they got off to a crap start, got hit by COVID in the middle of the year, got screwed on the Arizona game and closed out, you know, pretty well. They split with UCLA and USC. So he's going to go against a much, much, much better defense. Now, we should throw in there as a positive he is a great runner. So he's a very dangerous guy for the defense to, you know, keep in check. But that's going to be part of his thing now. Um, if he's getting pressure, when do you pull? When do you run? When do you stay in the pocket? When do you take hits? But the thing I liked the most was the grasp of the offense and how quick mm-hmm. he got the ball out. And to every side of the field, uh, basically every kind of pass, you know, stuff over the middle. So, and you could, you know, the funny thing is you could see the difference. Same offense, offensive line mixing ones and twos. And Bailey went in, and he just doesn't know the offense as well as Brumfield. I think he's going to be a good player for the Rebels, and maybe he's going to play you know, sooner than later. But uh, Brumfield's command, that, that was the impressive part. And, and for people who are writing him off, I don't know what you're writing off. The guy didn't get the play last year. He got hurt when he was out there. He almost led him to an upset of Fresno State. Mm-hmm. He was friggin' awesome. Listen, they made the wrong decision on the starting quarterback. Justin Rogers was was not – you know, a, enough of a pace guy. Everything bogged down when he was out there. It was just tick, 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 tick. They should have beaten Eastern Washington. He was tremendous when he played in that game. And beyond that, he really didn't play. So people just, oh, yeah, he's, he's not that good. Oh, you know, Harrison Bailey can't beat out Doug Brumfield. Brumfield is, he's a good prospect. He's going to be a good college player. And b- believe it, the other thing is, folks, walk around Doug Brumfield, walk around all of them. And that's kind of the difference now with UNLV across the board, but especially a quarterback. Like, they look like power five quarterbacks. Like the small guy is Cam Friel, and he's 6'3 and 230 pounds. Bailey is a big guy, like big, you know, trunk legs. And there are times you're you're around Doug Brumfield and you're like, is he 6'7? Right. He's 6'6, six, six, and you know, now he's about 215, 220 pounds. The first time I, I walked up to him at practice, I thought he was a wide receiver. Because he's just like he's just that big, long, and every but a tall drink of water, as they say. Uh, <laughs> can I also just say too? That's kind of what stuck out to me. And this is not meant to disparage any past UNLV teams, but watching that game when they looked just physically like the bigger team—that's right. something that stuck out. In the past, in those games, they would have like similar body composition to well, an FCS opponent that they were facing. This just looked a little different. When you John, what's happened there. when you think about some of the positions? So you get 182 yards in the air from Ricky White, who started at Michigan State. You get three touchdowns from Aiden Robbins, who was at Louisville. You've got a developing outside linebacking star in Adam Plant, who was at TCU. Your other starting outside linebacker, Shelton, comes from Utah State, but he actually briefly for about two weeks had transferred to Utah. So you're seeing and, – and then behind them, there are some guys who haven't played yet, you know, like Eubanks at linebackers, a Florida State guy. There's, there's a good number of Power 5 transfers into the program, and – you know, we, we all, as you're standing on the sideline, you, you're like, oh, that looks different. Yeah, well, that's why, you know, Adam Plant was recruited out of Gorman to TCU because he was 6'5 and 245 pounds. Mm-hmm. And now he's up, you know, he's probably 6'5 and a half and 265 pounds. It's just guys land at that level because of their, their certain size. Yep. No, it was good. I mean, you don't want to, like, freak out about a lot. But it was, to me, it's at the end of the day when you're able to – look like the clearly better team against the opponent that you're supposed to look like the clearly better team against, it's a good step. And and I think I put this in my notes too, 
and to give credit where credit is due, UNLV has won three out of their last five games. Right? It's it's a it's a positive direction for this football team. Is it weird to say I was out of practice today and I was watching them go through warmups and I'm like, there's a little pep in their step. They look kind of confident. That happens when you you win games and it's hard when you lose close game after close game after close game. One more time in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Ellis Island tomorrow. Three to six. In the front yard, we'll be up on the stage. It's the Steve, uh, Steve Sear Summer Tour 2022. Randy Couture, USC legend, MMA legend, is going to join us. Some other special guest along as well. You come over, check out the place. If you haven't been to Ellis Island, it's awesome. It's a great locals casino. They've got a brewery right there. The beers are five bucks. They're going to have specials going on for happy hour. You got karaoke seven days a week there. It starts up every night at nine o'clock. Awesome barbecue restaurant, the Village Pub and the Steak Special. That's dynamite. There's a Metro Pizza there, and they're aggressive with their play. Can I just say the name I'm most excited to hear this weekend? Have you seen the Alabama defensive back named Kool-Aid McKinstry? God, if I could be Kool-Aid Cofield. What a good radio name that would be. But I feel like you have to be an athlete to be Kool-Aid McKinstry. See you tomorrow at Ellis Island.